I know that God is blessing you with this. I know that you're learning things. I was sharing this with someone to, uh, last week, this past week, that I wish I had these tools growing up. I wish in my teenagers, I wish in my young adult years, I had someone teaching me these things. And, and, and you know what? I said, I don't want you guys to go through the same thing that I did. So having these tools will help us to live the blessed life that Jesus died and purchased to give us. And, and the enemy has been lying in our generation that we, are, we, are, we can receive anything less than what God has given us. But I'm believing that we will know our identity and relationships in our life will begin to be restored. So this is part six uh, of the series. And today we're going to be talking and exploring the subject of who do we date? Last week, if you were here, we looked at the subject before you date. So before you date, uh, I, I, I propose some of the things that we uh, need to consider that are very important. I'm not going to go in depth, but I'm just going to list the, the titles of, of the points that I made. You can listen to the message uh, on, on YouTube. Uh, I want to thank again Luke for his hard work in faithfully doing this week in and week out. And, uh, and if you want to continue... Uh, t I mean, if you want to catch up on the past series, you can just go on YouTube. And by the way, I encourage you to share it. Now, I'm not saying this uh, because I want the messages to be heard by everyone. I just want people to live in freedom. And a lot of the times we share things that we think are worth sharing. And if these teachings are helping you, why not share it? Why not let your friends know that they can live and, and win in their relationship? So, uh, I encourage you to do that. But last week before you date, I, I talked about knowing who we are, our identity. I talked about self-awareness, knowing our weaknesses, our insecurities, our past. I talked about being content in Christ alone, about testing our faith, checking our motives, counting the cost, and making our boundary lines very clear. So these are things that we need to, uh, it's a self-diagnosis of the things that are important to consider before we date. So today we'll be looking at who you date. You know, you want to settle down and find your life partner. How do you find that person? That is something that most of us struggle with. One person once said, looking for love is like looking for a set of lost, lost keys. The more you search for it, the more you don't find it. But when you just leave it alone and forget about it and go about your day, you recognize and you realize just right it was just at your table right there. And, uh, and, and if you have ever lost something, that's, I don't know about you, but that's true with me. The more you're, you're trying to look and search for it, you just can't find it. But you're like a door about it, and you just remember it's in your pocket. I remember once I, I used mom, uh, she's, she's, she's like saying, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Has anyone seen my phone? And she's like, like just going all over the place. Where's my phone? And, and she had headphones connected to her phone. She's holding it in her hand. And she's running frantically saying, where's my phone? And a lot of the times uh, in, when it comes to, to finding that person, you'll see a similar trait. That if we just trust God and rest in him, you'll find it right in front of you. So when you read of the account of Adam and Eve, you sometimes wonder, I wish things were that easy to, to find a partner. Can you imagine that? You're lying down. You had a beautiful day of naming all of the sheep and the goats and, 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 and the lions. And you had a long day and you named all these things. You, you lie down to take a break and, and you just had a wonderful day. There's, remember, there's no sin. There's no unhappiness. He's content, Adam. He's full with God. He's okay, just him and God. And then he's, he, he wakes up and he finds a woman standing right in front of him. 
Would you like that? Imagine, imagine you wake up from your sleep and the, and, the, and the person that is perfectly suited for you, I mean, she's got it all or he's got it all, is standing in your room at the feet of your bed and saying, here I am for you to marry me. I mean, if things were that easy, I mean, we all would just be like, yes, yeah, I don't need to worry about that. But the reality is that it's not like that. So how do we determine who we date, and how do we find that person? Firstly, I want to just quickly say that our motive to date cannot be like the world. I'll talk about this in, in a following segment, but we don't date to hook up. We're living in a hookup culture where, where it's not really about settling down with anyone, but it's about just, you know, I get, I get the needs that I want from that person, then I'll move on to the next person. And, and that is counter to what God's word tells us. We don't, we don't use people. That's what Jesus said, that we don't use people. We, can, we, we consider their interests. We consider their ways. So we cannot conform to the world's pattern and what dating is in the world. By the way, dating, the, the term dating and the concept of it, where single people go and do whatever they want uh, by themselves with their free choice is a fairly recent phenomenon. Matter of fact, through my research, in the 1920s is when it began. Before that, the most common way was courtship for hundreds, uh, a couple of hundred years before that, and thousands of years, the main way was arranged marriage. So I'll come to that uh, later on. But our world is becoming more and more individual, more and more, uh, it is only what I want, my interest, and it's making us selfish, and we don't care about the people that we're dating. So let's Let's date with the right motive. When you want to start looking for that person that you want to settle with, let it be when you are ready to commit to take that next step. Now, I want to go to a particular story. To, it's, you're going to have fun. Um, you're going to have fun in today's message. Um, we're going to go uh, to the book of Ruth, and we're going to talk about Ruth, and we're going to see her journey of how she found the man of her dreams. And in her story, you will learn principles that will help you to have, uh, to determine the person that you will spend the rest of your life with. You know, in the time of Ruth, or the book of Ruth, when it was written, it was a, it was a dark period of the judges. It was in the time where Israel had, had strayed away from God. Joshua had just died, and he failed to have a successor after him. Moses had Joshua, but Joshua didn't raise up someone else. And therefore, Israel had no leader, no king. So they did what seemed right in their own eyes. What a dangerous time to live when there is no leader, when there is no word of God, and you just do whatever seems right in your own eyes. So it was a very dark time, and God would raise judges to, to, to guide them, to bring judgment on the Israelites, to return them back. And it was in this time, in this dark stage, an era of the history of Israel that God, that the book of Ruth is written. It was during that time. We see that there is a glimpse of hope in the story of Ruth. That it's not all doom and gloom, doom and gloom that God has a way out. Amen? So let's go to Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, and then we'll take it from there. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. This is so interesting because Bethlehem, the word Bethlehem means house of bread. It is ironic that in the house of bread, bread ran out. What do you do when you face famine in the house where food is supposed to be in? 
So this particular gentleman, this particular man that lived in Bethlehem, where, where, where the people of God are situated where God wants them to be, when, when trial came, when testing came, he decided to take his wife and his two children. His name was uh, Elimelech. His wife was Naomi, and their sons were Mahalon and Kilion. And he decided to escape the famine and stay for a while in the land of Moab. Now, the Moabites were one of the uh, opposing nations that fought against Israel. They were the enemies of Israel. Uh, And they were not to go and dwell with them or intermarry with them. But this man, in his desperation, he decided to help God out. The plan of Elimelech sounded good. He said, I'm going to go where there is food for a while. And then when it gets better, where where I used to be, I'm going to come back and then take off from where I left. Elimelech, instead of trusting God in Bethlehem, in a time of testing, he decided to flee the test and to help God out. We have to be careful of trying to help God out by going against his will. Listen to this. Any attempt of trying to help God out will always produce an Ishmael. Now, if you know your Bible, you'll know what I mean by that. Because Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they, they were waiting for the promise of God. And, and he wasn't coming in the time they thought he would come. So what they did is that they said, you know what? I don't think what God said will happen. So what we're going to do is you sleep with this woman named Hagar. And, and we'll try to help God out to fasten the word that he promised us. And, and what that produced was a son named Ishmael. And Ishmael became one of the nations and, and still today that is opposing the Israelites. So we have to be careful of trying to help God out. In verse 3 to 4, this is what happened. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons, and they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth, after they had lived there for about 10 years. The plan that Elimelech had was to stay for a little bit and then come back. It, it just began to crumble. The more he stayed there, the more he was caught up in the, in the life that was in Moab. And, and, and shortly after that, Elimelech died. He passed away. Naomi is grieving and she loses her husband. And then a short time after that, her sons marry with Moabite women, which is also something that God commanded not to do. They do so anyways and then they also die. I just want to have a side note here. I've, it's not in relation to this particular subject, but I want to uh, highlight something here that I often hear Christians say. I hear this often. Yo-yo, there's a famine in the house of God. There's a famine of men and women. So I'm going to go to Moab and find me someone to date. And, 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 and I want us to learn in this particular story that you will not find Ruth in Moab and girls, you will not find Boaz in Moab. There is a bread in Bethlehem. Just be patient and stick it out during the famine and God will come through. Some people try and find Ruth and Boaz in the club. But all that you'll find in the club is 50 cents. And, the, and in the club, your value is more worth, your value is more than 50 cents. Because when you try and go against God's will and try to find that significant other in places where God said, do not be, do not go, you will end up shortchanged. 
And I'm telling you that you can stay in the land, in the house of Bethlehem, where there is food, where there is the presence and the provision of God. And it might be like a drought and, and a season where it seems like nothing is happening, but remain in the house. God has got you covered. Amen. And then three of them now, they're in a situation where they are widowed. They are widowed. They, they do not have husbands. Naomi lost her husband, Elimelech, and she lost her sons, and Ruth, Orpah, and Naomi are now widowed. Now, in our modern world, that's not a big deal, but back then, it is life and death because the husband was the breadwinner. If they did not have a husband, they will be, the, the, uh, poverty is their destiny. So the next thing that will happen is that they need someone to help them out from the family. So they are, they are automatically in a disadvantaged state. And orphans, I mean, in widows were overlooked at that particular time. Let's go to verse 6 and 7. While she was there in Moab, Naomi heard that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. I am telling you that God will always come to the aid of his people. She and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left that place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. This is a key turning point in the story of Ruth and Naomi and her sister Orpah. Ruth, uh, Naomi was bitter, she was hurting, she was broken at the pain she experienced of losing her sons and her husband, but she decides to go back to Bethlehem when word, good news came, came back that there is still bread has come back in the house of Bethlehem. She had to exhaust all of her resources to finally say, all right, God, all right, God, I get it now. I'm going to run. I'm going to come back to your will. You know, one thing that I want to say to you, it is never too late to come back home. I don't care what, how far you've gone. You might go past Moab to a distant land. But one thing that I want to tell you, and this is the truth of the word of God, it is never too late to come back home. You might be hurting. You might be in pain, mistakes that you've made. You might be in regrets. But that staying in that position is not going to help you. What will help you is to change your mind like the prodigal son and say, I'm going back to where there is bread. Because life is truly in the house of God, and I have tasted and seen that life apart from Him is nothing there. There is nothing there. It is fleeting and empty promises. So verse 6 to 7, Naomi heard, and she made a decision to go back. Verse 8 to 9. Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, she's walking. Picture this. She's walking with her daughters-in-law, in law, going back to Bethlehem, where there is bread again. And as she's walking back with them, Naomi, we learn her character here. She stops and she says to them, go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. And may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and they went uh, and... and Sorry, yeah, and, and they wept aloud. We can see the heart of Naomi in this particular moment. Even though she is old, she's an old woman, and she knows that these young women will be a big help to her. 
She cannot go out to work. She cannot find another husband in her old age. And she knows that they will be helping her, but she has a character that we can admire in this particular thing. She encourages them. No, you know what? Go back home. Go back to your mom and dad. Go back to where your, your home village is. Find a husband. Get married again and, and enjoy the life that is ahead of you. And, they, and, and, and Naomi knows that she cannot offer them anything. She knew that if he come with me back to Bethlehem, I have nothing more that I can offer you. Naomi is selfless and thinks of them more than herself which is what Jesus so often commands us to do, to live out of selflessness and not selfishness. The gospel is all about that. The gospel is all about changing our heart to not only think about our interests, but in fact to go a step ahead and consider the interests of the other more than ourselves. That is the key of knowing how to live with our brothers and sisters. In verse 16, so she gives them that option. She says, go back. In verse 16, we see a separation in character between Orpah and Ruth. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you and turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Orpah took up her offer and decided to return. But we see, Ro, um, we see Ruth here as an ex exceptional person. She makes the decision to follow and worship the God of Naomi and forsake all of the gods of her fathers and her mothers. Ruth chapter 2 verse 1 to 2. So she's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going to believe in the God that you have shown me. I have, I have seen your God that you worship modeled and I want to follow him. And I have forsaken my gods and I'm going to follow the God that you serve. So she goes back with Naomi, and the Bible says this in chapter 2 of verse 1 and 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing form from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Standing form basically meaning a wealthy man. And Ruth and Moab said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. Ruth goes back to Bethlehem, and now they have no man to provide. So in Israel, God set up this system. It's like the Centrelink system of God. He, he, he had a system of how to help the poor and the needy and the widows. And what happens is when it is the time of harvest and business owners are collecting harvest from the, from the field that they have, they would leave the corners of their field purposely without harvesting it so that the poor people can have something to eat. And that was the God's uh, social security system, if you'd like. And, and the poor would have a way to be provided for. Not only that, when they're harvesting, if they leave anything behind, God commanded them, don't go back and collect it, leave it for the poor and the needy to come and have uh, sufficient food for them. So Ruth is in a situation where she's desperate. She's with her old grandmother, her sister is back home, and she's in the land of Bethlehem, but she's poor. She did not sit down and have pity on herself. She didn't sit down and be depressed and give up on her life. She decided, she got up, and she made the best of her situation. There's a saying that, that says, when life throws you lemons, make a lemonade out of it. That is so true. 
We, have, we can either be people that are constantly negative and seeing the worst side of things, or we can say, you know what, this is the season that I'm in, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to do the work that I need to do to get me through this season in my life. You know, how often do we give up in life when we go through tough circumstances? I want to encourage you, do not quit prematurely. Just because you're doing a tough now, just because things are not working out in your, in your life, don't throw in the towel. You know, we have the privilege of seeing the, the zoomed out story of Ruth and her family. And we can say to Ruth there, Ruth, keep going because your story in the next chapter is going to change forevermore. You will never be in the same situation that you're in. God will bless you. And when you see further down, Ruth, we can see that in hindsight. God has given us the privilege of, of helping us to see in the eyes of God. When we read the scriptures, we see the view of God. But in, in the time Ruth is going through this, she doesn't know what's ahead. All she sees is the desperate situation that she's in, and she decides to get up and do something about it. Life is too short to whinge and complain and be negative. Here is a widow who left her family in a foreign land, living with a mother-in-law. She must be an exceptional woman to live with a mother-in-law. To say, you know what, <laughs> I'm going to leave my mom and I'm going to live with my mother-in-law, it tells you a certain character about Ruth and Naomi that they saw in each other. She gets up, she decides to work and to provide for her widowed mother-in-law and herself. Ruth wasn't too proud to say that I don't want to go and get help. I don't want to go and get aid. I don't want to go and get the leftover from others. She had to do what she needed to do in that season of her life. You know, sometimes we, we, we tend to neglect the help that is provided for us just because of pride. But you know what? Ruth didn't allow that to stop her. She'd rather go out and, and do the things. Yes, they will know. They will know that if you're going out and, and collecting what's left over, they know that you're poor. They know that you're in a dif different, uh, difficult situation. But she did not care about the opinion of others. Let's go to verse 3 and 7. So she went out and she entered a field. This is the craziest part that I want you to highlight. She entered a field. So she goes out in Bethlehem and, and she's searching and she finds a random field. And, and, and she finds that, and she began to glean, which is to collect, behind the harvesters. As it turned out, that's a key word that you need to highlight. Or it happened to be in another translation. She was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, so it, so, so it just happened to be the same land that belonged to Boaz. And, and, and just then, Boaz happened to arrive at the time that she was there. Arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseers of his harvesters, what, who does that young woman belong to? So Boaz comes, he's the, he's the boss, he's the manager, he owns the field, and, and he speaks to his manager and he's saying, God be with you. You can see that he has a good relationship with his workers. And then he notices a woman, he says, who is that woman? I have not seen her before. And then he goes on to say this, verse number six. The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Hmm. 
You know, a lot of times, things that we deem and just rub off as coincidences in our life are not really coincidences, but you see the working of God. For her, it is a coincidence. She has no idea the land belongs to Boaz, but what we can see in the zoomed out version is the masterful work of the creator as he paints the picture on his canvas. We see the genius strokes of the master painter. Zoomed in the moment, it seems to be a set of coincidences. But zoomed out, we can see the sovereign hand of God working all things together. Boaz was part of those who didn't leave Bethlehem. Boaz, when his relative Elimelech left, Boaz was one of those that said, I'm not going to go to Moab, I'm going to trust God in Bethlehem. He was the one that decided to stick it out in the hard time. And guess what happened? God blessed him. God blessed him, and when the time of harvest came, he was a wealthy man. Man, We can see the relationship Boaz had with his workers, that he was a good manager. And that's something that I'll teach you when I teach business. Let's go to verse number 11 and 12. Boaz answered her, I have been made fully aware of everything that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. And you have left your father and mother and the land of your birth, and you have come to a people that did not know that you don't know before. May the Lord repay you for your kindness, and may your reward be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz tells her that she can stay and work at the field and she can uh, take breaks as much as she wants and take the water that her, his original paid workers drink. And part of Boaz's reason for him being wealthy is that he was a generous person. She asked, why are you showing me such kindness? And he tells her, because I heard about you. I heard about the reputation that you have among Bethlehem. Your story is known by everyone around here. And Boaz basically says to her that because of what she did for her mother-in-law, he has given favor in her life. Boaz then feeds her all that she wants and she goes back to work. Boaz tells the other workers to look after her and to make her work easier. And she had favor upon her. When Ruth goes back home, she tells everything that happened to Naomi. So she's telling her, how did your day go? Because she collected a lot of uh, harvest and she says, you wouldn't believe what happened. I went and I found this land and the guy, by the way, his name was Boaz. And Naomi's like, wait a minute, that's a relative of mine. And, and, and it is not a coincidence. It is not an accident that you have come to that place. Naomi reveals that Boaz is a relative and that he's a kinsman redeemer. Now, that word kinsman redeemer can mean four things in scripture. Number one, the kinsman redeemer was responsible to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery. Number two, he was responsible to be the avenger of blood to make the murderer of a family member answered, answer for the crime. Number three, he was responsible to buy back family land that had been fortified. And number four, which is the role of Boaz in this story, he was responsible to carry on the family name by marrying childless widows. So if there is, uh, let's just say I had a sister, uh, and sorry, my sister was married to someone, and, and, and that person dies, my sister has to go and marry the brother of that person to continue the name of the brother's family line. And that was a kinsman redeemer. But in this particular case, 
her husband, Moab's husband, I mean Ruth's husband, he already died and his brother died. So he had no brother to take her in marriage. So the, the, the next of kin is then the person responsible. I'm going somewhere with this. Bear with me. Ruth chapter 3, verse 3 to 6. Let's read what happens next. So she tells Naomi, he's a kinsman redeemer. You didn't go into a land by accident. There is a reason why you're going there. And then she says, you know what? This might be God's plan. So I want you to do this. And she begins to give counsel to Ruth as to how to take the next step in this matter. She said this, wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor, do not let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do what, whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Naomi was a woman of integrity, and we see this shown by her godly character towards Ruth. Ruth trusted Naomi enough to take her advice and do everything that she said, even though she has no idea of the cultural context of Naomi. They're completely from different cultures. You know, we need to seek the counsel of wise people that have our best interest at heart. One of the reasons that Ruth trusted the counsel of Naomi is because she knew she had her best interest at heart. That she wasn't setting her up for failure, but she knew how to help her out in her situation. I also want to caution here. I'm going to speak about it when I come to friendships. But we must be careful when you, who we get counsel from. Because not everyone is going to have the best interest for you at heart. Some people are, are specifically working in your life and you might think that they're your friends, but they're actually plotting your, 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 your failure. There's people like that that you need to be careful of. But Ruth trusted Naomi because she's seen the godly character that she's shown her in her life. This may be weird at the advice that she gave her. Imagine that. <laughs> she's saying when he's lying down and sleeping, uncover his, his feet and lie down under his feet. She didn't get it, but she trusted the counsel because she knew who it came from. It was normal for a slave to lay at their master's feet. That's the cultural context at the time. It was a sign of total submission. So when a master has a slave, a slave would go and lie at the feet of the master. That is the, the willingness of the slave to say, I am in total submission of you. So it was normal in that. For us, it's weird. <laughs> Never do that because the cops will be called and, 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 it's, and you'll, be, you'll be charged for many, many things. So don't do that now. But in that particular time, it was culturally a normal thing to happen. But Naomi says something that's important. She says, dress well, smell good, wash up, make sure you're well presentable. You know, I want to help all my single people in this particular point here. You know, when you go on a date, it is important that you are dressed presentable and appropriately. The word that we use biblically is modestly. Now, the culture that we're living, we think that showing less means that it will get the guy uh, more or that he'll be interested in us more. Dressing modestly 
is something that scripture teaches us. It doesn't mean to dress like a nun. That's not what dressing modestly means. Like from your neck to your, to your toes, like <laughs> have a long gown that covers everything. That's not what dressing modestly means. You don't have to show everything to a guy for him to notice you. Because what is happening in our culture now is that we think in order for a guy to look at us and notice us, that we have to reveal certain things. That's far from the truth. And I'm going to show you that in this story. We need to understand that Ruth and Boaz have gotten to know each other well over the harvesting period. It's not just something that happened the next day and the next day. During the harvest season, they have gotten to know each other really well. But since Boaz is older than her, he didn't even consider himself as a person who had a chance with, with Ruth. So Ruth lay at his feet, and when he woke up in the middle of the night, Boaz freaks out. <laughs> Can you imagine that? By the way, the reason why he was lying in outside where the harvest is, is because thieves would come in the time of Judges, and they'll take everything that, that the Israelites collected. So he was protecting his work. And, and, and he's watching out for a thief. And he's lying down, and he wakes up, and there's someone in the dark. He can't see who that is. And he freaks out. He's like, who is this person? And let's go to verse 9. That's what he, he said. He said, who are you? He asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. <laughs> she said something funny that you probably wouldn't understand. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are the, a guardian redeemer of our family. What that means, she basically tells Boaz, Boaz, in case you haven't noticed already, I am available. I am available and, uh, and, and I'm available for marriage and I am interested in you, Boaz, if you are interested in me. Now, I'm going to raise a good old uh, question here. Who makes the first move? Yo, yo, is it wrong for a girl to make the first move? If she's interested in a guy, you might be here and wondering that particular thing. In this story, we see that very thing happening. Ladies, sometimes a guy needs a hint in the right direction. She's been spending time with Boaz and, and they become close. They're getting to know each other. But Boaz, he's older than her. And, and, and he, 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 he's, he, in his mind, I have no chance with this girl. So he's not even bothering to pursue her. So then Naomi's advice is to say to her, you go and give him a hint. You don't tell him that, that, that you don't ask him out, but you tell him that I'm available and that uh, I, I can have a kinsman redeemer and he's part of the option. So she gives him a hint. There's nothing wrong with that. Boaz thought that he didn't have a chance. And what Ruth is saying is that you do have a chance. You might develop a close friendship with a guy, ladies, and you wonder why isn't he making a move like all this time? Why isn't he doing something about it? Maybe he needs a hint that he has a chance with you. Because some guys are very intimidated, uh, including myself. I used to be like that. Some girls are very intimidating to approach. They might have a certain personality. They might have a certain look. And I'm like, I don't think I have a chance with her. So if there's this friendship and you're like, there's something there, but why isn't he making the first move? Maybe you need to give him a hint that there is an opportunity there. Ruth chapter 3, verse 10 to 11. Let's continue to read what happened. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you have showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, which, whether they're rich or poor. 
And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. Listen to this. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. There is so, this is so powerful because what attracted Boaz to Ruth more than anything was her noble character. He saw the sacrifices that this girl had made. He saw her attitude towards work, her work ethic. She, she wasn't a, a giving up kind of person. She, she was persistent no matter what. She loved her mother-in-law. She protected her. And that kind of person is not easy to find. Her beauty was inside out. There is nothing as unattractive as someone who is beautiful on the outside but has an ugly character. And I'm trying to help you here. One person said this, it is easy to find a lover of the body, but it is hard to find a lover of the soul. That is so true. And, and, and a lot of the times, our culture is set up for us to just pay attention on the external things. I want to read you 1 Samuel 16, 7 in the Amplified, and I'm going to help you with this. Because I'm going to give you tools. Now, the ending part of my sermon is where I'm going to lay down the principles. I just wanted you to get the whole picture of the story. This is what God said in regards to David. But the Lord said to Samuel, remember, Samuel is a seasoned prophet. He is a prophet that hears from God clearly. But in this particular instance, God said, go to Bethlehem and you will find in the house of Jesse someone to anoint and then as the next king of Israel. So Samuel walks in and he sees all the sons of, of Jesse and they all come out and he sees this one particular guy. He was tall, he was dark and handsome. I don't know about the dark part, but he was tall, he was handsome, he, he, had, he looked the part. And Samuel thought to himself, that must be the guy that God is gonna use as the next king of Israel. And God taught a seasoned prophet a lesson that we can all learn. He said, do not look at his appearance, or at, his, at the height, thank you, Lord, of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, let me say a few things here. God's selection criteria is man looking at the outward. He said, but I see the inside. We pay so much attention to appearance, to height, to stature, that we neglect the heart. If I were you, I would take seriously the selection criteria of God Almighty. He's saying, I see more of the inside of a person than I do the outside. They might look the part, they might have all together in the outside, but I see the character. God uses people of character. You can study anyone in the Bible. They might not look the part on the outside. They might be short like David, but God sees the heart of a person. And that is something that we can, we can learn. If God selects those whom he chooses by looking at the inside, how much more should we pay attention to that? Proverbs 31.10, a wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. 31.30. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And you can apply this both to women and men, by the way. Beauty fades, but character stays. Please date someone who has a godly character. I promise you, if they fear God, they'll treat you right. 
But how much, but how much does our world focus on the outward beauty at the expense of the inner beauty? Of course, there needs to be a physical attraction to the person that you want to date. But don't make everything about that. Don't make it all about that. And, and you neglect the character of the person. Because the inner beauty is far greater than the outer beauty. After this, Boaz hurries, he hurries off and he gets going to do the legal proceedings of taking Ruth. Now that he knows that she's interested, he goes and he does what he needs to do. He immediately started the legal proceedings and the other relative that was closer of kin than him, he said, look, he gathered all the leaders of the village. He said, look, you're the person that can take Ruth and the land and all that. But if you don't want it, I'm here. I'm next of kin and, and, and I'm willing to. And the guy, when he found out that Ruth comes with the land and all that, he said, I don't want it. I don't want to take that responsibility. So he stepped in. He took her in as his wife. When you love someone, you will do whatever it takes to get them. Boaz, he hurried up and he, and he began to do everything that he needs to meet, I mean, to, to get this girl that he truly loved. You know, one thing that I want to inject in this particular moment is the story of Jacob and Rachel. If you're not familiar, Jacob goes to the house of Laban and, 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 and he's there and he's talking to the shepherds, asking about his uncle, where he is, and then comes a, a girl named Rachel. The Bible says that she's a shepherdess. I never knew there was a woman shepherds, but she's a shepherdess. And, and she's going to feed the sheep, and he looks at her, and he's like, girl, who are you? What is your name? What is your number? And he gets to know her, and she finds out that she's actually uh, the daughter of one of his uncle. Now, I know these things sound weird, but it was, it was allowed back then. And, um, and then... He, he asked her and he went back to her house and, and the father, uh, and then he met for one month. He was under Laban. He was working for Laban and Laban said, you know what? You can't work for free. I know your family, but I need to pay you. What's the payment? He said, I love your daughter. He said, I want Rachel. He said, I will do anything that it takes for me to have Rachel. So the, the father says, you know what? You're a relative. I know you well, so that seems fair enough. The wage that you need to pay is seven years to get her. Can you imagine that? Seven years of hard labor to get this girl named Rachel. Seven years, and he said, I'm willing to do it. Why? I love the girl. I love the girl. And then, if you know the story, after seven years, the father tricked Jacob. He put a covering on, on the other sister, Leah, and, and, and he put her in in the time of marriage, and then he slept with Leah, thinking it was Rachel. And then he wakes up, he uncovered in the morning, and he's like, who are you? He's like, I, I, I was expecting you to be Rachel, and he found out that it was Leah, and then he got angry, he went back to, to Laban, he said, you deceived me, how could you do this? He said, I love Rachel, and I wanted Rachel, why, why did you do this to me? He said, well, well, the older one is, is supposed to be married first, so I'm just keeping that custom, and he was angry by saying, I still love Rachel, and I want Rachel. He said, it's going to cost you another seven years. 14 years, he's willing to fight for this girl because he loves her. I'm going somewhere with this. And then the Bible says that he married her. He married Rachel. So he's got Rachel and Leah now. He didn't select Leah, but he was tricked into it. And he's got Rachel and he loved Rachel. But Rachel was barren. She couldn't conceive. But Leah, because she was unloved, the Bible says she was unloved, 
God opened a womb and, and she began to have a baby. And she thought to herself, if I give him what that girl Rachel cannot give him, he's going to finally love me. So she had a baby for him. And Jacob still loved Rachel. And then she said, I'm going to have another baby for him. Maybe now his heart will come towards him. Sure, she has another baby for him. Guess what? Jacob still loved Rachel. And she had a third one. Didn't change the heart of Jacob. Ladies, I want to give you a tool here. Don't waste your time with a man that is not totally invested in you and fighting for you. Jacob was willing to work 14 years for the woman that he loved. Let me tell you this to help you. If a guy is not pursuing you, he most likely is not in love with you or not into you. If you think that I will win his heart if I sleep with him, you will sleep with him, but you will never win his heart if he never, leave, if he never loved you. You might say, you know, a lot of this I hear about, it, especially in the U.S., they, they try to tie down guys by having a baby with them. Like they trick them, they put, they put holes in the condom and stuff. I don't know if you've heard of that because they want to get babies. And if I have a baby with him, he's going to be stuck with me. So they have a baby with a guy. But guess what? The guy's not around. He loves his kid, but his heart was never invested in the girl. Let me help you here. As guys, we invest in what we love. So if you're doing more of the phone calling than he is, he's not into you. I promise you this. A guy chases after what he loves. Don't waste your time with that. If you're, you're, you're doing all of the calling or you're doing all of let's go out and that more than he is, he's not into you. Just, just don't waste time. Quit that relationship. Go and, 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 and don't waste time with that particular person. Date someone who loves you. That's one of the principles that I want you to have. Are <laughs> you was reminding me we were talking about this? I loved Ayu from my heart. And 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 I remember, I didn't remember actually, she reminded me yesterday. She said, Yo, yo, do you know what you used to do? Every time, literally, she's like, every time, you used to buy a gift, small things, earrings, whatever it is, and you'll put it in my purse without me seeing it. And she said, I'll go home and I'll open up my purse and I'll see a gift every single time without fail. Or it'll be a note, or it'll be something that I, like, I didn't remember that, but when she said it, I began to remember even the things, the way I used to stress over it. I used to go to the jewelry shop and say, what do I need? What do, I have no idea what I'm doing. But I love the girl, so I want to impress her. And by the way, my budget was only Centrelink. So I had limited, limited money. So, so I would go and I had to make that Centrelink money enough for my petrol, for my food and all that. So I would have like 20 bucks left. And with that 20 bucks, I'll get an earring. And, and, and when, I, when you love someone, you invest in it. That's why even the Bible says where your treasure is that your heart will also be. So I invested in her because I loved her. I worked in warehousing two days a week for many, 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 many weeks to buy her a TV for her birthday. And I'm telling you, if a guy loves you, ladies, he will invest in you and he will spend whatever he needs to spend. We used to have back, now you don't have a problem with this because you have unlimited talk and text. But back then, we used to have 300 minutes and that's all you get for 30 bucks. I used to finish it every time on her. And I would always go recharge because my heart is, is in it and I will do whatever it takes to invest in it. So, Date someone who loves you. Don't waste time with someone that doesn't have the love for you. The, the other thing that I want to say, I'm, I'm almost finished. Date someone that is suitable. Genesis 2.20.
The Bible says this, he gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him, that is for Adam. In the Amplified, he says this, and the man gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the air, and every animal of the field, and, and for Adam there was not found a helper that was suitable, a companion for him. One way we can determine, is this person suitable for me? is by asking this question, is this person helping me or taking away from me in the relationship? Am I crying more than I'm laughing? Some relationships we're stuck in is so toxic, it's not helping us at all, it's making us more depressed, more angry, and we stay in it. That's a sign that if they're not helping you, if they're not progressing you, if they're not investing in you, that's what Boaz did. He, he helped Ruth. He helped her without even her knowing. He told his other workers, make sure she wins. Like she thinks she's collecting this, but add on to it. Like he was helping her because he, he, he knew that he was interested in this woman. Do not be stuck in a relationship that is causing more damage than good. Boaz went out of his way to make sure that she was set up to win. You can determine if someone is suitable for you. Just in, after a few weeks of dating, you can determine that. Is this person helping me or is this person taking away from me? Do I feel better after my time with this person or do I hate myself after the time that I have with this person? But it's, it's so true that we still stay in relationships like that, even though they're damaging us and hurting us. The last point that I will say, date someone who is a purpose partner. Look, when I asked, are you out? I told her, Are you, I want you to know that I have a call over my life and I'm going to be a minister, so I might not give you a lifestyle that you want. And you need to be aware of that and you need to count your cost before you date me. You need to know that this is going to be the life. And she was telling me, she was reading a book on that. You know, what, what are the things that she can expect from, from a, a, a husband that is going to be in full-time ministry? And she was preparing her heart. And I told her, if you're willing to go on this journey with me, just know that you might, we might have to live by faith every day. I told her, we might get up and just go to the U.S. under God's direction. And she was willing to do that because our purpose was connected. Listen to me very carefully. When you decide who you date, this is one of the conversations that you need to have. If you have a call over your life, let's just say in full-time ministry, but that person wants to be traveling all around the world, that's what they're called or that's what the heart is, your purpose is going to be conflicting and you're going to be having a lot of fights, I'm telling you. Marry someone that your purpose and destiny you work together towards. It might not be you're in the same career, but your hearts align to the same vision. The, the call of God is something that you will help one another and not hinder one another from. Boaz and Ruth went to have a child named Obed. They married happily. They had a child named Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. David was born in Bethlehem. Jesus, many generations later, was also born in Bethlehem under the lineage of David. They did not know that they were purpose partners but when they trusted God, when they saw the invisible of God, uh, hand of God working in their life, they became something bigger than they ever expected to be. They had no idea what would come out of their union. Date someone who is a purpose partner. 
co-worker in the mission that God has given you. I want to finish off by a story. It's a true story. Now I told you the story of Boaz and Ruth. I'm going to tell you a story that is true that I just heard about this week actually. And, and I'm like, I'm going to share this because it connects with my message. Uh, for the purpose of hiding the name of the people uh, in this story, I'll name them different, but the story is true. Uh, there was a man named John and, uh, and he was at a telephone booth in Kenya. Uh, and he was at a telephone booth lining up, and, and there was a woman named Amy, a few uh, people behind him. And he's there just waiting for the, for the, um, for the telephone booth, because back then you, just, you have to pay money, coins to call. And as he's there, he just looks back, and he notices this girl named Amy, two people behind him. So he says, he's a Christian man, he says, you know what? I'm going to be nice, and there's a fellow Habesha sister, so I'm going to bring her in front of me to take my place, and I'm going to take her place. So he offers her the free uh, to take his place, and, and, and after that, they, after they finish the phone, both of them, they began to talk, they go back walking, and he introduces himself, and he says, I haven't seen you around this area before, uh, because there's uh, limited Ethiopians there, so it was when you find an Ethiopian person, they're like, oh, you know, where are you from? Where did you come from? And all these things. And as they were talking, two days later, uh, they met again. Uh, he went to visit again because she told him the house that she was in happened to be uh, a house that he knew the family of. And, uh, and she told him where he is. Two days later, he went and to visit her, and he tells her about, about the gospel. And he said, there's a conference actually coming, and, you need, and, and I want you to come and, and check it out. She goes to the conference. Uh, Amy goes to the conference, and then after that, she had many questions. She didn't, uh, her questions were not answered in that conference. She had many more questions. So she goes back home, and, and, and uh, John answers all of her questions for her and explains the gospel in a clear way. Then uh, Amy decides to give her life to Christ after she heard the gospel message, and John prayed for her, and she received Christ. He then introduced her to the church pastor in Kenya, and for six, seven months, she went through a discipleship teaching that explained the Christian faith more clearly. John then, uh, after the seven months, after he was there, he went back to Ethiopia for good. He said, uh, my, my time is done here, and he decided to go back to Ethiopia for good. And as he was in Ethiopia, after one year that he's living in Ethiopia, he receives a call from Australia uh, to... to, to to have a study visa and to study in the nation of Australia, and he accepts it. So, but they said to him, in order to go through the processing, you need to go back to Kenya. So after one year, John goes back to Kenya, and while he's in Kenya, he has to stay there for three months to do the processing. He meets Amy, and he says to her, you know what, in my time away, I've been thinking about you. And I want to start a relationship with you. By this time, she's serving in the church. She's grounded in her faith. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. She's a woman that loves God. And he said, you know what? He found out more about it. And he said, I want to start a relationship with you. What do you think about that? And she started to consider it. And, uh, and, and she said, you know what? He said to her, but there is a condition. He said, I'm a man that has a call over my life. And if you want to marry me, these are the two conditions that I have. Number one. Know that this is the life just like me. This is the life that you're going to expect. And number two, know that I'm going to go back to Ethiopia. That's what's in my heart to minister in Ethiopia. And when John told this to Amy, Amy said, I do not accept your requests. 
So John was really disappointed. He was heartbroken. And he went and he continued his way to Australia. Amy stayed in Kenya and she continued to serve in the women's ministry, serve uh, in the prayer ministry and the service ministry. And, and a lot of men in that process began to ask Amy out for a date, for a relationship. But she rejected all of them. And then two years later, after John had left, there was a massive bomb that went off in Kenya. And the bomb that went off was by a foreigner. So they said to the the foreigners that lived in Kenya that you need to leave this country immediately. So everyone was getting sent out of the nation. and, and, And Amy had legal grounds to be in Kenya. It wasn't a fake case. It was legal grounds. She had uh, one child that was with her, and, and she's a single mom, and, and she had help. And her case was legitimate. So what was happening was she was under at-risk woman's case, and what happened was they were supposed to go to Norway. So all of her friends, they're getting uh, the, uh, the ticket over to Norway, and, and they're going to Norway. But when it came to her turn, they found out that her case has been stolen by someone that works internally, and they couldn't find it. So the caseworker for her, she gets upset. She's like, how dare this happen? You know what? I'm going to overrule whatever it is that's been done because you have a legitimate case. And, he's, and, and the caseworker said to her, where would you like to go? See, Amy was okay going to Norway because she heard there's a lot of help, but there is no family for Amy in Norway. And then when she, she was uh, uh, asked that, she said, you know what, I would like to go to Australia because I have a lot of brothers and sisters in Australia. So the caseworker says, done. After a short time, she was given the permission to go to Australia. And when she heard that she's going to Australia, she remembered John, that he's also in Australia. And the people in the church community remembered that, and they gave her some things to give to John. And, and, and when Amy arrived here, my uncle... He's a pastor in Kenya. He was the pastor at the time at that particular church. And my uncle said to her, this is uh, the phone number of my dad. Because they, uh, they were, I think, half brothers. And he gave the phone number of my dad. And my dad, uh, then she, when she comes here, she contacts my dad. And my dad uh, goes to visit her. And she says, uh, is, is there a man named John in this particular city? And he said, yes. Matter of fact, he's in our church. And she said, oh. I have a message for him. Do you mind if you can give me his number? So, so my dad gives John's number to Amy, and Amy calls John, and, and when, he, when she calls John, John is living with his sister. When she calls him, his sister picks up, and she explains who she is, and then she says, you know what, John is not here at the moment. So she calls a second time, and this time John picks up. John picks up, and then he says, who are you? She says, it's me, Amy. He said, which Amy? This is already two years have gone past. He said, the Amy that was from Kenya. He said, wait a minute. How, where are you? Why, how are you here? Explain. And she shortly explained. Then the next day he went to visit her. He went to visit her and he told her how in the past two years that he started to pursue one particular woman and that woman was not, uh, it didn't work. So he ended up quickly before he went in any further thing. And he said, but he's, she's the one that has always been in his heart. And then the woman, uh, Amy said, you know what? It's the same case for me. If the offer is still there and you're still available, I want to say yes this time. 
John snapped up at the option. He said, you know what? Yes, let's do this. And, and, and because they know each other, they know the history and all that, John and Amy decided to get married. And six months later, they were married. With their permission, you probably figured some of you who these are. The story of John and Amy is a story of Pastor Zalalem and Alam Sai. <laughs> One thing that I want to show you in this is we can see the invisible hand of God working in the background in the lives of all of us. One thing that I want to encourage you, don't stress about who you're going to marry and who you're going to date. Love Jesus and serve him faithfully. And incidents that you deem as coincidence, God is actually working in the background to set you up for the purpose that he has for you. Trust God. Trust God. Don't be afraid of how it's going to happen. God will make a way. Amen? Did you all learn something from that series, from this uh, message? I hope that you did. If not, well, come back next week and you'll learn another thing. Let's close our eyes and pray. I've shared you this already that God gives us free choice in this particular area. But what I wanted you to see today, in that free choice, we see the sovereign hand of God. We think it's coincidence, but God promised that he would lead us. Those who love him, he will lead us. That he will guide us, he will direct our step. And you will only look back and say, you know what, that was God. I thought it was a coincidence that we met at this particular thing, but that was God. I heard another story this week of another woman, and she was telling me a similar story. Don't stress, don't stress. If you're single and you really want to settle down, you want to get married, don't stress. Just trust God. Pray about it. One thing that I forgot to tell you, Pastor Zalalem, was something that he constantly prayed about. He prayed about it. And who would have thought that these seemingly coincident opportunities happened the way they happened at the right time so that they can marry and be together? Her case file getting stolen to not go to Norway is the hand of God. And in hindsight, when you look back on it, now you can see it. But in that moment, it was a tragic situation. All her friends are going to Norway, getting out of the situation, and they're getting help, but she's stuck there. And she said, I had to trust God. I had to trust God will make a way. And God had favor upon her, and he gave her a person that looked after her. I promise you, when you surrender your heart to Jesus, make him the number one priority, he will lead you, he will guide you. You will not be lost. You will not be forsaken. He will meet the needs of your heart. Ayu was telling me that when I broke up with her after three weeks of dating, she said to me that she was really broken and she was crying. And she's like, God, why is this happening? I thought this was from you and this, that. And she said, I was crying. And then, and then she said, I, I heard God clearly saying, I will give you the desires of your heart. And she said, that encouraged me. And I got up from prayer and I was really encouraged. And the next morning, she said, Yo-Yo, I received a message from a random person that I haven't heard of for many, many years. This person has moved to Brisbane. I have no contact with this person. But on that particular morning, the text that I received was, God will give you the desires of your heart. And that was God confirming to her. 
and we didn't plan to get back together and continue the relationship, but God had his way of doing it. So if you're here and you're looking for someone today, don't stress, trust God. Make this a prayer topic. Just ask God to lead you. And we've learned some principles. Marry the person that loves you. Don't waste time with someone that doesn't love you, that doesn't help you. Don't waste time with someone that that their character is just so flawed that they're just stealing away from you. Address it. If, If you're in that kind of relationship, address the issue. If that person is not willing to change, you need to reconsider your option. But I really encourage you, brothers and sisters, that you will trust God, that he's working all things together. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't get discouraged. Don't complain. God is working it all out. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We trust you. We thank you that you are the holder of our lives. We thank you that you care more about us than we care of ourselves. And that you are working all things together, as your word says, for the good of those who love you. Bless those that are, that are in this room and those that are seeking for someone to date, Lord. Make this clear for them. Those who are, uh, who are just confused about this, make this clear for them. Let them rest about this particular uh, question, Lord. I thank you for what you're doing in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, guys.